we want to we look at how do we cultivate a heart for God's Word, a heart for God's Word. And so this morning as we look at this, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, we're just going to pull that out of the section of Scripture and, and note with me three characteristics about these individuals we find in Berea and how they are instructive to us, serve us by giving us some, some understanding of how we might cultivate a heart for the Word of God. Look at verse 11. I'm not sure if I have that separately on the screen. There it is. It says, Now the Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so there's three things just packed into that one little verse that's going to be our focus this morning. Three examples of how we might cultivate a heart for the Word of God. Notice with me, first of all, their attitude in hearing the Word of God. Their attitude in hearing the Word of God. It says at the beginning, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, says they were, the ESV says they were more noble. If you have a New Living Translation, it might say they were more open-minded. Uh, and so that's what the, in the Greek, you know, the New Testament was written in the Greek, and sometimes we refer to the Greek language as it gives us maybe a little more understanding of some of the words and terminology. And it literally means high-mindedness, but it came to be generally more used to be speaking of a person who was tolerant, who was open who was generous in their attention. Now, did this mean that they had some special qualification, that they merited a special uh, understanding of what Paul was teaching? No, I think what it's, what it's telling us is that this nobility, this openness, demonstrates their willingness to acknowledge their need, resulting in an eagerness to hear the Word of God. They're acknowledging their need to hear the Word of God, and they received what they heard. That's their attitude. That's a good place for us when we approach Scripture is to say, God, I'm coming before your Word. I believe that you have uh, inspired. I believe that you have breathed upon your Word. So I'm coming with an attitude where I am open for you to instruct me. I am open for you to teach me. That's a good place and the best place where we must begin if we want to have a heart and to cultivate a heart for the Word of God. Uh, Jesus gives us some indication, perhaps, of this concept in Matthew 18, 3 through 4, when he gives this, in, in talking about like hungry children in need of food, the humble attitude of these believers was predisposed to receive the Word of God. And Jesus gives this principle in Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 through 4, where he says, Truly I say to you, that unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, and the context is a child came to them, and you remember the disciples wanted to shoo, them, shoo the kids away, they were at annoyance. He said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so, I thought of that when I was thinking about this attitude of these Bereans, that there was a willingness to come in childlike faith and be taught. Now, remember, where are they? They're in the synagogue. They are dedicated people to uh, Judaism, and so it would 
befitting that they were intelligent people. They were noble. And, and, and as I said, the original concept of that word speaks of a, of a high society, a person who was of a means. But it wasn't that they were just smarter or more intellectual, but it's telling us that they had an attitude where they were open to hear what God's word had to tell them through the Apostle Paul. And that's why God blessed them. It speaks of a willingness to even lay aside their preconceived notions, their prejudices, their, their concepts of what the Scriptures taught. Uh, some of us have had to do that through the years. I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but if you've grown in as a Christian and as a believer, there's been some things that perhaps you were taught, maybe by sincere good people, but you were taught incorrectly. And so through the years, as you have grown in your faith, and you've grown in your understanding of what God's uh, Scripture teaches us, you've had to adjust yourself to conform to the Word of God. Amen? And that's a continual thing to say, what does Scripture teach us? I need to lay aside my preconceived notions. One of the most frustrating things is to talk to somebody, a Christian, and you're trying to perhaps uh, share some truth with them, and they just immediately shut down. Well, I've never heard that in my life. Well, you know what? There's a lot of things I've never heard in my life. And I'm 57. There's still some things I haven't heard about. And I'm not ready to cash it in and say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. There's nothing else I need to learn. There's a lot I need to learn, right? Uh, you don't have to agree with that. I, should have, I, sh- I, shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have provided that opportunity. But, but, we, but Jesus says that if, if you, the first... Now, this is so radical... Because children and women, they weren't really deemed as priorities in the Roman culture of this time. And Jesus takes something that was of of a low concept, and he puts it at the top shelf where he says that unless you humble yourself like a child, that's where greatness in the kingdom of God uh, is is imitated in that childlike face. And we come to the Word of God, we come with an attitude of dependency uh, upon God to show us. Just like we, when we were younger, we didn't go and make our meals and mess up the kitchen and set the, you know, set the place, uh, the water and the, the refrigerator and turn things over. We were dependent upon others to prepare our meals and to help feed us in a proper nutritionist way, tr- nutritional way. So in the same way, we're coming before God as children and saying, God, my attitude is to humbly submit and to be taught. But they didn't allow their traditions, they didn't allow their prejudice to get in the way from something new that God was doing in their midst. And so that's where an attitude that we can uh, imitate. James chapter 1 perhaps gives another shade to this understanding of an attitude. When we come to the Scriptures with this attitude of humility, this openness to what God says, and not only an openness to what He says, but an openness to obey what God says. Look with me in James 1, verses 23 through 25, and this is from the New Living Translation. For if you listen to the word, you're a hearer only, and you don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. You ever looked at yourself in the mirror and you saw that you had some mark or something? Uh, the other day, I was, I don't know what had happened. I must have had a fight with my black ink pen, 
but I had a little mark across here. And I looked in the mirror. I'm like, what in the world is that? And I'm like, okay, well, well, I could have just looked in the mirror and thought, oh, I got a black streak across there. Well, you know, everybody's got a black streak on their face, you know. Oh, they'll just think I'm unique or whatever. No, I wanted to clean that off. But if I, I look in the mirror to see uh, my true reflection in order for me to make corrections of what the defect is. Now, I know, you know, in some of our cases, it's, it's more challenging than that. But, but you get the concept of what he's saying here. Verse 25, but if you look carefully, he's comparing the perfect law to this mirror that accurately reflects who we are from God's eyes. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, just take perfect law and put Scripture there, the Bible, that when you look into the Scriptures, the Word of God that sets you free, and if you do not do what it says, and don't forget what you, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. There's a, there's blessing when you obey the Word of God. Someone said, and I like this, that the Bible is the only book that reads me. Think about that. The Bible is the only book that reads me. The Bible tells me an accurate understanding of not only about who God is, but who I am. And so their attitude was that they had an attitude for hearing the Word of God. They, they, were, they were expecting to receive something from God, and we should be like-minded as these Bereans. But there's a second example in cultivating a heart for the Word of God. Secondly, notice their appetite for growing in the Word of God, their appetite for growing, uh, for growing in the Word of God. Verse eleven. Everything is in verse eleven, and th- and it, and just you could just put little brackets there, and you'd you'd see these little. If you put little brackets around these phrases they're walking through, then you'll easily see how these three areas just jump out in verse eleven. That's a good way to uh, be a note taker in your Bible. It's okay to mark your Bible, okay. Make notes in your Bible. Someone said that if you see a Bible that's torn up, it usually belongs to somebody who's not. So make use of the Word of God. Uh, Mark it up. Underline things. Circle words. Be that observing person. So notice the second aspect here in verse 11. Not only were they more noble, these Jews in Berea, but it says that they received the Word with what? All eagerness. That tells me that they had an appetite for growing in the Word of God, that they were teachable. They were hungry for God. They were hungry to know God. They were hungry to live for God. When it, when I, it says it implies that they were teachable, that means they were, they were predisposed not only to listen, and that was their attitude, but they wanted to submit to what Scripture says. They wanted to submit to the Word of God as the authority of their life. We kind of look at it sometimes, and we think, well, I know the Bible says that, but I think. You ever heard somebody say that? And they have all these deep theological understandings, and, and, and honestly, they don't know what they're talking about, but, they, but you know, that's the way to kind of rationalize and work your way around something that's very clear and plain in Scripture. And there are things that are more plain than things that are not real plain. But the things that are plain, I've got plenty of work to work on those, okay? I'm not worried about the things I don't understand. I need to, I'm, I'm more worried, or I shouldn't say worried, but I'm busy trying to work on the things that I do understand, all right? 
So, so they came at the Word of God with a teachable spirit, and that's a great picture of what Scripture paints of a growing Christian's intake of the Word of God is not to just grit your teeth, oh, I've got to do my daily Bible reading, I've got to check my box, you know, I get a certificate if I have all my boxes checked and I mail it to this evangelist and he's going to send me back some holy water and a certificate, so I've got to do my devotions, I've got to read my Bible my goodness, man, that's not going to do you any good if you're just kind of approaching it as, as just kind of a diligence and work. There should be a delight. There should be a joy. When you eat, are you angry when you eat? When you're hungry. Just like, I am so mad. I've got to go to Zaxby's, and I've got to get that chicken again. And I mean, no, you're excited. You can't even wait for them to call your number. You want to go back there and help them make it. You know, you're, you're excited to be somewhere because you're going to eat and you're going to be fed. Well, that's a wonderful picture of the joy that we should have when we approach the Word of God. There should be a joy. Job said, these won't be on the screen. He said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth, of God's mouth, more than necessary food. He counts the words of God more necessary than food. Psalm 119, which is entirely written on the Word of God, the psalmist writes, I opened my mouth and panted like, like I, was, I, was, I, was, I was quenched. I needed water. He said, I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. When you see commandments, law, just put Scripture, the Bible there in, in, that, in that place. 1 Peter 2.2, and we'll look at this a little later, says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow, that you might grow. And so the same is true on a spiritual level that we have to have an appetite for the word of God. Now, uh, in December, on December 17th, as, as most of you know, I had three stents put in and had some other health issues that thankfully Things are going well and good doctor's reports uh, behind me, and so we're on the right track. But I had to reset my appetite away from eating certain foods to creating a new appetite for eating foods that were going to be healthy to my body, that were going to help me in the healing process, that were going to help me to have a healthy, long Life. I had to make a readjustment there. I had to develop some new appetites. And so the same is on the spiritual level. We have to cultivate often new appetites, a new appetite to move away from the wrong things that satisfy us, just like we do in the natural. I know those triple cheese Wendy's hamburgers, which are long in my rearview mirror. I, I know that that brings lots of joy and pleasure for the moment. But as you know, you will pay a price. You will pay a price when you are not engaging in the natural eating of healthy things that are going to contribute to a healthy body. Well, the same is true with our spirit. We make choices every day. We make choices all the time. And sometimes eating the wrong things is just more convenient, right? You mean I got to go home and make a salad or I got to do this or do that? That's just going to take me so extra time and I can whiz through that drive through and get that sweet tea and be on my way, you know, and I can do all that. You can see that I'm still struggling there. These things come to my memory too quickly. But sometimes the choices, we don't make the choices. Let's be honest, sometimes we're just lazy. And again, I'm talking about now spiritual choices to cultivate this appetite for the Word of God. Sometimes we're just lazy. 
Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge. That's why we're saying to you today that this is something that is important in the Word of God. Motivation. It's one thing about having a crisis moment that gives you motivation to hear from God. Have you found that to be the case? When you're facing a crisis of whatever kind it is, it's amazing in how the Spirit just leaps and catches up to that moment. You're, you're looking through the Bible. You're looking for a promise. You're looking for Scripture. You're calling in for prayer. You're calling, calling in the reserves. All of a sudden, now God has got your attention and you're motivated. Well, I don't think we should live like that. We should be people who are just developing a constant appetite. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds on things that are above and not on things of the earth. Here's some, just some practical ways. We'll go through these quickly. Is Four practical ways. If you don't have an appetite, I used to have an appetite uh, for the Word of God. Here's some just practical things to keep in mind here to recultivate that. One, feed on the appetite that you do have. If you're alive, you have an appetite for something. All right, You wouldn't be here. Well, if you're born again, God has put in you a basic appetite to know Him. Otherwise, you've not been born again, okay? That's just part of it. And so start with where you're at. Feed. That's why the Bible talks about uh, being nurtured in milk like a baby. Well, you, don't, you know, when a newborn baby uh, uh, is born, you know, they're not taking him out to Red Lobster and providing, you know, lobster, surf, and turf and all that. No, he, he, he needs to eat things that are digestible and palatable to the body. Well, listen, start somewhere. Start feeding the appetite that God has implanted in you when he made you alive, when he regenerated you, when you became born again. Start somewhere. Start opening the Gospel of John, reading a chapter a day. If you can't commit to every day, read every other day. If you can't read a whole chapter, read 10 verses. Start somewhere with something, eating something to get an appetite. And I guarantee you that if you are diligent to do that, that you will have a hunger and it will grow and you will desire to know more and more of what God's Word teaches Make a deliberate action to feed the appetite you do have. Secondly, starve competing appetites. Starve competing appetites. Uh, Just as junk food decreases our appetite for nutritious food, there are ways that we fill our minds and our hearts with things that decrease our appetite for God's Word. You see, they may not be sinful in and of themselves. They might be neutral, right? But the activity is they divert your attention, they sap your attention and time from things that are better spent. You need to have balance. We all need to have balance. That's the reason I'm careful. I don't want to give you a list, you know, that, okay, well, if you binge watch something on Netflix, then, then, you know, you need to live under guilt. Some of you, some of us, let me put myself in that category. You know, if if those of you have Netflix, you know, they don't even wait for the program to end. They said, this next one is starting in 10 seconds. And before you know it, you have wasted four episodes, and you're ready to call off work because you've got to watch that next episode, right? Maybe not quite. Whatever it is, again, it doesn't mean these are bad things. They're just things that if you're spending a disproportionate amount of time playing games, I don't play games, and there's nothing wrong with them. 
But if you're just spending day in and day out and you got hair growing in places you never realized you had hair and you you're, you're, you got fast food boxes all around you because you're playing, you know, whatever, it's time to get a life, right? Uh, whatever it is. But I know guys that are just obsessed with fantasy football. God bless you. I mean, that, there's nothing wrong with a hobby. But if it is a disproportion of time and you say, well, I have no time to read God's Word, and you're a Christian, something is out of balance. That's all I'm saying here. So cult, starve those competing appetites. Thirdly, examine your heart. So examine your heart. If there's no hunger, if you have just no hunger for God's Word, just like if you have no hunger for anything, there's something physically wrong. You may not be alive. Uh, if you're not, if you have no hunger for God's Word then really you have no hunger to know God. And here's where you need to examine if whether you're even born again and you're in the faith. Because I believe that when a person is born again, Jesus implants new life in them, and that new life means new desires, a new heart, a new hunger for the things of righteousness and not the things of unrighteousness, not the old things. He gives us a, he gives us a new heart, a new attitude, but we have to cultivate those things. We have to grow in those things. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, evil and slander. In other words, those are heart issues. And the very next verse, verse 2, he says, that's where he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into your salvation. So there may be some heart issues. If you're dealing with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and you're trying to say, God, Oh, let me hear your voice today. Let me speak to you. Speak to me through your word. Teach me through your word. It's not going to happen because you've got heart issues that you've got to, you've got to deal with. Talking about as a believer here. So, again, examine your heart. Examine what's going on in your, your life. Fourth is something that James says, and we alluded to this, is apply the truth. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you're hearing the word of God... Uh, and you're not putting into practice, uh, then something is disconnected there. Hearing the Word of God and putting it into practice. Jesus said, uh, you lo- if you love me, you will what? You will do what I command you. You will obey my commandments. So just simple things in cultivating an appetite for the Word of God. But there's another last aspect that we can learn from these Bereans, these unnamed Bereans, uh, that, that instruct us on how to cultivate a heart for the Word of God. And thirdly, it is their approach in learning the Word of God. They had the right attitude. They cultivated an appetite in receiving God's Word. But notice their approach in learning the Word of God. Verse 11, again, verse 11 again, the third part. Uh, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And here's the third part of this approach in learning the word of God, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. A couple of things there. They had a consistency in their approach to learning the word of God. How often did they search the scriptures? How often do you eat? There you go. The Lord's Prayer, give me this month my daily, my monthly bread. Is that what it says? Manna was distributed there, and as we've been going through Exodus, was given, except for one day for the Sabbath, 
was given every day. We have to eat every day. We have to take part of God's Word every day, and it likens itself uh, in Scripture to bread. Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There uh, are these little booklets uh, that I had somewhere. Here it is. Uh, that we usually have out back uh, on the back table. They just supernaturally appear. I don't know who brings them, but they come in the mail or whatever. And it's called Our Daily Bread. This is real simple. But start with this. Those resources sit out there. And the reason there's a bunch of them, because this is for March, April, May. We're almost at May, so you got one more month. We'll get a new one every quarter. But they're out there just like a reading plan is out there to walk you through and reading the Bible uh, throughout the entire year. It isn't because it's a lack of planning. It's just a lack of you being motivated to take a resource and put it into practice. So make use of these little things, okay? It has a little devotion in there, and then at the bottom, there's if you want to read through the Bible uh, in a year, you just pick up on whatever day uh, it opens to, and it's just a simple way. Start with this. It's small enough that you can keep it in your desk. You can keep it in your glove compartment, not find it four years later when you clean your car out. But, you know, may, put it somewhere where you're going to make use of it. That's a resource that we have in the back, that we have out there. So start somewhere that you can have a consistent plan of engaging Scripture. And by engaging Scripture, you're engaging the Word and the voice of God. But there's something else here that I want us to make sure we don't miss. Is not only were they consistent in their approach in learning the Word of God, But notice they were cautious. Notice what it says. They examine the Scriptures daily. That's consistently. Why? To see if these things were so. What things? The things that Paul and the companions were teaching them. See, remember, why are we drawing attention to these brethren and cisterns, uh, 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 these folks at Berea, is because they're wonderful examples of being serious about their handling of the Word of God, of cultivating this attention around the Word of God. And notice that they weren't gullible. They didn't just take it at face value because he's the Apostle Paul. Paul was not offended by them saying... Well, you know, sounds good, Paul, but we're going we're gonna to meet here tomorrow morning and we're going to have a Bible study over everything you taught us because we want to make sure that it lines up and matches with the Word of God. They are to be commended by that. And I love the fact that Paul, like I said, he didn't rebuke them. How dare you? Don't you know I'm an apostle and you're going to question me? No, Luke puts them there and to highlight Paul is saying, look, they, didn't, they weren't just gullible. They verified by the standard that God has given us. Here's the problem is that oftentimes many professing Christians don't know enough of the Bible to detect error when it comes at them. And so they think that because this Ministry's got a cool magazine and a slick website, and they'll send you all sorts of resources free, and you can just, you could just, and it looks like they quote a lot of scripture and have a lot of books and, and things. You know, it's easy to get drawn into that, and, and it, may be all, it may be a wonderful, great ministry, but the question is, is what they are teaching lining up with the Word of God? Is it lining up with the Bible? 
I like the, I don't use the message, it's a paraphrase, but sometimes it's helpful and it uh, gives a little insight here. Acts 17, 11, from the message paraphrase, it says that they examined the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. Is that not up there? The message? Acts 17, 11? I might not have put it up there. Okay, sorry. Listen to what the message paraphrase says, that last verse last part of that verse. They examined the Scriptures to see if the Scriptures supported what Paul said. That, that, that was, they, they, they were commended by that. They verified. Some of you remember Ronald Reagan uh, during his time as president had a term in discussing about when they were negotiating with the Soviet Union regarding missile reduction and all this. And Ronald Reagan said, had this phrase. He said, trust but verify. I'm going to flip that and give you a, more, a biblical version of that. Verify, then trust. Verify that what is being taught is scriptural. John MacArthur uh, made this statement, and I thought it was, tar- it was right on. He said this in something I was reading. He said, people ask me all the time, what is the greatest need in the church today? What is the most compelling need? He just celebrated his 50, 50th year as the pastor at Grace Community Church in Southern California, 50 years as the pastor in one place for 50 years. That is to be commended. He, said, what, he was asked, what is the most compelling need? Uh, Dr. MacArthur, what do you see as the greatest problem in Christianity, the biggest problem in the church? And this is what he said. He said, the answer is pretty simple. The biggest problem in the church today is the absence of discernment. It's a lack of discernment. It's the biggest problem with Christian people that make bad choices. They accept the wrong thing. They accept the wrong theology. They are prone to the wrong teaching. They're unwise in who they follow, what they listen to, and what they read. You cannot be sucked off into error without dishonoring God. God is truth. He has revealed truth. He loves truth. He has given you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all the truth. And He's given you His Word, which is truth. And how terrible it is to think that you might drift into lies. And I totally agree with that. One of the most troubling things is when people that I know are Christians, and they'll send me a link to something or a video or or some teaching... And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're sending me this like, you think this is good? This guy's a false teacher. He's a heretic. And you're sending me 